Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Today on Truth and Movies, Donna Tartt's bestseller makes it to the big screen with the help of a star-studded cast in The Goldfinch. I don't need to tell you about loss. We're going from Lincolnshire to London to Lagos in the British coming-of-age drama The Last Tree. What do you want from me? Always a tough guy. And in Film Club, Nicole Kidman thinks her man's a kid in Jonathan Glazer's 2004 gem, Birth. He said, it's me, Sean, what am I supposed to think? All coming up in Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Hello there, movie truthers. Welcome back to Truth and Movies. It's Michael Leader here in the host chair, as always, sitting across this week from Sophie Monks Kaufman. Hello. Hi, Sophie. Welcome. And we're welcoming a new guest this week. We have Rogan Graham. Rogan, welcome to the show. Hiya. So, for the listeners' benefit, who are you? What do you do? I um, I just graduated uni and I'm a freelance film writer at the moment yeah. uh-huh. Could we have read any of your work recently? Yes, um, I reviewed Phoenix for Little White Lies in the latest issue the Judy Garland issue mm-hmm. and I contributed to the souvenir issue as well, uh, the list of 100 best British oh, indie which films. One, which blurbs do you write in that? Pressure, uh, Ray and Liz and Hunger uh-huh. Stephen Queen film, yeah. Can I congratulate you on graduating and like <laughs> Thank you very f- much. Please, <laughs> I, I wish you all the luck in this cold hard world. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Now that we've got niceties out of the way we should get to the film criticism <laughs> and we're going to start with a film that's already had its fair share of uh, a critical kicking on an international stage. We're going to start with the adaptation of The Goldfinch. Goldfinch is the film adaptation of Donna Tartt's best-selling novel, which won the 2014 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction. Theo Decker was 13 years old when his mother was killed in a bombing at the Metropolitan Museum of Arts. The tragedy changes the course of his life, sending him into a stirring odyssey of grief and guilt, reinvention and redemption, and even love. Through it all, he holds on to one tangible piece of hope from that terrible day, a painting of a tiny bird chained to its perch, the Goldfinch. Mom, I've got a guest for you. Now, you must tell me, what have you been doing with your life? Uh, dealing antiques. <gasps> antiques. When you were a child, I used to catch you studying my paintings. You'd always go straight to the very best ones, the Peel, the Lane, the Copley. I used to think, ah, oh, a kindred spirit. Mrs. Barber, I am so sorry. I don't need to tell you about loss. A clip from The Goldfinch there. So, Sophie, this is adapted from a doorstop of a novel that I think many people might have bought and then not read. How does the film pan out? 
I mean, pan is the operative word when talking about the goldfinch. And I will say that, as I said to you earlier, one of my notes is not as bad as I have been led to believe. It does arrive with a critical booing ringing in your ears. So, you know, it surpassed that very low expectation I had. But it's just like... So I haven't read Donatart's novel and I will say that it did make me want to read it because it's a very intriguing story and that sustained my interest throughout what is a very long film. And another one of my notes read, I will be happy when this film ends um, (laughs) because you really feel its runtime. I would say it comes into its own in the third act but it's too little, too late. There are some really beautiful lines in it, but those are clearly just from the novel. And again, it just made me want to read the novel. So I'll say it's kind of a whole lot of nothing. And um, there's this very insistent score that plays throughout. And it just, it's overly reliant for tone on this, the compositions of Trevor Gurekis, which is very sad, melancholic piano and violins just constantly playing throughout. So, you know, you might as well just listen to the soundtrack at home, I would say, to get a sense of the film. But when you say there are intriguing elements in there, what are those intriguing elements? Are they characters, the performances, or is it the narrative, the setting? The themes. Uh-huh. So uh, this character, Theo, he's been bereaved in perhaps the worst and most shocking way as a child. The characters that he meets along the way. So d- during this explosion this mysterious man hands him a ring and it's like go to this address and he he goes to that address and he ends up living for a while with this guy who restores antique furniture but then his dad comes and like whisks him away to like a very unhappy booze ridden uh, like desperado style home life and then he meets a friend called Boris anyway there's lots of, there's lots of and then this happened and this happened and this happened which is like what drags the film out but like the intriguing elements are the fact that he's got this he's got this emblem with him of what he's suffered and what he's lost and you're like where is this going to go so I think that's what you're waiting for the, the payoff of like what's going to become of the goldfinch which is a painting that as the film goes on you discover has its own mythology its own sad story around it so it's like the intertwining of grief on a literal level with like grief as embodied by this painting and then the misadventures of this child mm-hmm. Okay, Rogan, that's a lot to take in really and sounds like it's quite a heavy novel that's been condensed into a what, two and a half hour long film How long Condensed is this film? feels the wrong word <laughs> oh, Okay, well Rogan, how, how did you uh, no, respond to the gold tension? No, I agree, you definitely feel the runtime, but I also to the actual theme of the goldfinch I found myself forgetting about the painting throughout mm-hmm. the movie because it takes you down all these uh, alleys and you, you try and get invested in that and then you, you're brought back and the painting the importance of the painting only really comes into play in the last half an hour I, t- I think mm-hmm. so after two hours of me personally kind of forgetting about its importance and being more invested in you know this young boy's home life you know he's kind of dealing with adults or is meant to be cared for by adults who just don't really want to deal with a child's PTSD and it it leads into kind of a drug addiction because oh you can't sleep just take this you know we're not going to talk to you about your grief or about your loss and I kind of was interested more in that angle but then it doesn't then it stops short there and then it's just cut to him as an adult with a drug problem and that's Mm. it it's it's trying to do a lot and not really achieving yeah any of them yeah so yeah no, so Reagan's right to point out it cuts to it's like it's on dual timelines you've got right. him as a kid and then him as an adult played by Ansel Elgort and yeah it's almost arbitrary the, the way it just kind of swings between the child and yeah. adult life how is Ansel he's somebody who's been a rising star for a few years now but hasn't quite found that 
How is Ansel? <laughs> a good question. He doesn't really have much to do and he's just very kind of a, I think, trying to play this, you know, sort of damaged young man. He's just he's a bit emotionally constipated. You just, oh, you no. don't get, I just don't get much. I, child actors can be a bit hit or miss, but I thought the kid... Theo, uh, I thought he was quite good, especially in scenes with his father. Yeah, Oakley the, Ferguson, yeah, I think his name is. Yeah, <laughs> the kid was really good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, because Luke Wilson plays this caricature of an irresponsible dad who has nefarious reasons for taking him in. The kid. Sarah Paulson. Sarah Paulson's <laughs> entrance is Zandra with an X. Oh, was uh, quite brilliant. I thought. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if it was meant to be as funny as it was. Uh, I think she knew. It was yeah, funny. I think she. Did, so basically, yeah. one point uh, in this long story that I missed out is that in between the living with the antique dealer and being taken away by Luke Wilson, he's adopted by this very wealthy Upper East Side family, the mm. Barbers, and this is a family where Nicole Kidman is a matriarch, uh-huh. and Nicole Kidman, and uh, so. Sarah Poulson and Luke Wilson rock up to this pristine environment full of Chippendales and genuine paintings and she's like chewing gum and uh, like wearing sky high heels and it yeah I think she relishes she's playing this quite trashy Hmm. character and she has fun with it in so much as you can have fun with a very small one-note part. Yeah, no, I agree. It's just funny. <laughs> so this film was almost announced dead on arrival as its Toronto premiere and then made hardly any box office and it's released in the States. So it's become exalted as one of these films that you may go to hate watch. Hannah Woodhead wrote a, a column on the, the Little White Lies website about this where sometimes films are so critically panned that maybe you'll, the, you know, the, you can go and enjoy them for different reasons than them being particularly good. Do you think that that's the case here? Is there some fun in going to see this anyway, despite the bad reviews? I think if you're going to go and have fun with it, it's going to be on an earnest level because mm-hmm. it doesn't quite hit those beats. Like the film we reviewed on Film Club two weeks ago, Showgirls, mm-hmm. is a perfect hate-watch film because it's got all these moments of like, what the Sorry, you're going to believe that. But yeah, it, uh, The Goldfinch is very earnest and very long. Mm. So, I mean, unless you have a very patient form of hatred that you'd like to bring to the watch, I wouldn't say it's a very good candidate for a hate watch. No. You wouldn't, you'd, would you agree with that? Right? Yeah, no. I'd agree. It takes itself too seriously uh-huh. for you to get any real kind of, you know, oh gosh, what are they doing? You, you kind of think, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not great. So best to just move on, maybe. Or I think if you're having a hard day and you just want to sit in a room and no one's asking you for anything and the screen doesn't demand too much, just sit quietly. But like something's <laughs> happening on screen and that's a good film to go to. Well, Sophie, what scores would you give this in anticipation, enjoyment in retrospect? In anticipation, one, as you said, it was pronounced dead on arrival and everyone's been kicking it since um enjoyment a perky two (laughs) (laughs) in retrospect two okay broken yeah i'd say two just because i didn't know much about it hadn't read the novel and i have a friend who is an avid reader and she told me she couldn't finish the novel so then that didn't you know bode well for me i'd say watching it I kind of flickered between a two and a three because there were moments where I thought, okay, it's gonna, something's gonna happen. (laughs) And also, Finn Wolfhard is in it. And his accent's really not great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Boris. It's, yeah, but as Boris, Boris. I know, it's so long we forgot. We forgot so, sorry, what, what accent is he, is he attempting? Russian. Russian. Oh, and he's, oh, God dear. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that, you know, moments with him, I, 
I found quite enjoyable, uh-huh. perhaps for the wrong reasons. And then, uh, yeah, in retrospect, too. Oh, okay. Thinking, then. Uh, unfortunately. Well, that's the Goldfinch, anyway, in yeah. cinemas this week. Up next, though, we have another new release, and that is The Last Tree. Growing up with his foster mother in rural Lincolnshire, Femi's young life seems as idyllic as the landscape. But when he returns to London to live with his birth mother, he begins to struggle with the culture and values of his new environment. And as the years pass, he must decide which path to adulthood he wants to take and discover what it means to be a young black man in London during the early 2000s. You missed my class today. Again? I'm not new today, so I'm not new either. You come in here stinking a weed. Got specks of blood all down here. I told your mum wouldn't fail, not on my watch. That's where you f***ed up. But what do you want from me? Always a tough guy. Your mum told me about your foster care. You know, I can't imagine what that must have been. That your business. Confusion. Yeah, I'm what? Don't know shit about it. Stop right there. Oh. Yes, a clip there from The Last Tree, the new film from a up-and-coming British director, Shola Amu. So, Rogan, how do we start with The Last Tree? It's been billed by some reviewers as the British Moonlight, that Shola Amu is the British Barry Jenkins. Is that the right way to think of this film, or is that a bit cheap? Um, I can see why people are saying that. I feel mm. like the references to Moonlight are quite heavy and, and direct, and mm-hmm. I feel like I really enjoyed The Last Tree. This feels a little bit like a patchwork of references, almost, as you're watching it, which, as you're watching, can be quite nice, because you think, oh, that's reminiscent of this or this. But then I'm not sure how that works altogether, just as Mm. a film standing on its own. Yeah. Yeah. So did the patchwork work for you? It did, and it. it, I think it's a coming-of-age story, and it's one that it will go into cliche territory but then it will come out of it uh-huh. I w- really liked the way the film ended as well because I, I was like what is going to happen to mm-hmm. this character who is trying to go his own way trying to his life in Lincolnshire he has a very caring loving foster mum and then when his real mum comes and takes him to London she it turns out is quite a tyrant and then at school you know he's like he gets kind of embroiled with a local gang leader Mm. and so he's just trying to go his own way trying not to ruin his life before it's even started which is a story that we've seen before and I was like where is this going to end how is this going to end and for me like the success of the film rested on like is this going to is this going to be a surprising ending and actually for me it was Mm -hmm. but it's not spoilers to say that there is this this tripartite structure perhaps not equally weighted but you start with a young version of the character in Lincoln running wild in the landscape with his young lad mates then a tricky teenage life in in London trying to adjust to that climate and then this end point where he goes to Nigeria which is almost like an epilogue it's kind of a coda isn't it yeah but it it does reach for some meaning there for me the the part of the three that resonated so strongly and was completely surprising you go into this film and you see some of the themes that are being sketched out some of the comparisons as I mentioned in the marketing copy and almost none of them mentioned that this is actually a period coming of age movie set in 2000 and 
something, the mm. early 2000s, yeah. which, full disclosure, is when I was a teenager. And there's a sequence where he rocks up to his high school in in, in, uh, in inner city London, South London, listening to The Cure, which, I don't know, I didn't expect to feel seen by a film uh, so strongly as, as that. There are so few, and this is something that's a bugbear of, of mine, maybe listeners can enlighten us, there are so few coming-of-age films set in that little nook once you're past the 90s but not quite mm-hmm. up to the modern day. I think Lady Bird is one of the only few that shoots for that territory, but that's quite welcome in this film. Was little Michael Leader rocking up to school listening to The Cure? And being asked what I was listening to, and I didn't have to pass it off as Tupac or anything, <laughs> but uh, as he does in the film. Yeah. But... Uh, this, yeah. this film only has three soundtrack cues. There are mm. two Cure songs and one New Order song. <laughs> Come on, that is straight in my comfort zone. <laughs> uh, Rogan, what were you responding to with this film? Were some parts working for you more than others? Yeah, for sure. I think it was nice watching it because I feel like I recognised where uh, some of the shooting yes. locations and I was, and I was going, oh, that's definitely there. you mm-hmm. know. And, and that was quite nice and I feel like you don't necessarily... A lot of British film is set in manor houses and Mm. it was just nice it was really nice to see I think I responded to the performances as well quite strongly Sam Adwumi who plays Femi or older teenage Mm. Femi I think he's really great he has a really great expressive face I thought as well as the the actress who plays his mum his Mm. birth mother Femi Sola she was really terrifying and then she could also be really heartbreaking and I just I was very moved by both their performances yeah how do you how do you characterize that relationship with the mother because it's often in the sort of social drama genre it would be the reuniting with the birth mother would be seen as a relief whereas Mm. in this one it's much more complicated than that right in this in this story yeah well she has very heavy expectations on what initially is just a very young boy she expects him to do a lot domestically and will come down like a ton of bricks on him if he doesn't do it so she's a disciplinarian type of mother and again like I guess a link between this and the goldfinch is that she's not really interested in his sense of dislocation at having been yanked out of his home in Lincolnshire with this woman who he sees as a mother so it's like again an example of an adult not really taking an interest in the emotional well-being of a child and really she just uses him as a like little slave but then as Rogan says there are moments when you can actually see that she does have some other motives as well but she's just very misguided in the way that she uh, approaches those motives yeah anything that we've not caught on on this film before we go to scores or? I just wanted to underline a couple of points. So, yeah, like, I think a lot of the time London on film, it's either a really, like, tourist Woody Allen view of London of, like, here's Big Ben, here's Buckingham Palace. And this is great for just, like, inner city London. Mm-hmm. And um, it has the the ring of, like, Shola Amu. He knows these streets. He knows this estate. You can relax into that depiction and enjoy it. So, uh, yeah, and also just to add that I also agree that Sam Adewanmi's performance is incredible. Like, he's got clout within his social group because he has, you know, he's built, he's good-looking, he's got a gravitas and a kind of macho energy, but it's understated and you can see that he's, like, he doesn't just want to trade off of that. You can see this intelligence, this inner intelligence desperately trying to apply itself to a way out, really, and you can feel the stake, like, the stakes are him, like, what is going to become of his life. He makes you feel those stakes through his performance. Mm. 
can I just add something that I think I think we would kind of do the the film a disservice especially in what Charlotte Amu is trying to explore because this is part biographical Mm -hmm. is the fact that his foster mother in Lincolnshire was white Mm -hmm. and that definitely is a tension in the film especially when you talk about his just in terms of culture and his musical interests and the girl he likes at school a young black girl and she has blue braids and she also listens to the cure and his friends pick on her Mm -hmm. for many different reasons her interests as well as the fact that she's darker skinned than they are even though they're all black and he kind of sticks up for her but a little bit too late and she gives him what for for it which I found really interesting in a Q&A with the director. He said, the young actress, Ruth, actually said to him, no, she, this is how she should react. She shouldn't, because I think initially, or I assume initially, it was written that she would be more forgiving. Mm. And I think when I said it was a patchwork earlier, visually, I think also in terms of themes and what he's trying to present to us in terms of intra-community issues, as well as his own personal things. So that's why it worked for me, and it also didn't. I think it's really an ambitious film in terms of what it, it's presenting but um and i and i admire it for that for sure mm-hmm. yeah scores yeah so what, what scores would you give this i'd say in anticipation probably a three just like a kind of neutral like you know it's a new film that'd be mm-hmm. nice to see it and then enjoyment i think four and then in retrospect i think i'd give it a three okay yeah 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 sophie oh yeah identical mm-hmm. um Three, four, three. But I just want to add to my four. The four is because of the ending, and I think what the ending does, because you know, like Rogan says, it's like these different cultural influences on this character, and I think it, the ending is a statement about those cultural influences and about what this character needs from the world in order to mm. feel like one within it. That's why I was really quite touched by the ending. But then three, just because I didn't really think about it that much more afterwards. Yeah, I think for me it's a, it's three, three, three straight down the line. That's not to say this isn't a an impressive film, and I think Shola Ramu has bags of, of talent here. I can't wait to see what he does next and down the line. But there are some fantastic elements within it, as I've already said, and the way that it shoots Elephants and Castle, which is an era I lived in for close to a decade. Same with me, Rogan. I was spotting little corner shops and so on that they were running out of. That's quite delightful. I haven't seen London shot like this before. But then there were many elements that were quite familiar, perhaps, or this film just trying to do a little bit too much, which isn't a bad thing. Maybe go and see it to make up your own mind then, listeners. That was The Last Tree. Rounding off this week's new releases, up next we're off to Film Club for Jonathan Glazer's Birth. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Director Jonathan Glazer followed Sexy Beast with this curious drama set in a wintry New York. Nicole Kidman stars as Anna, a young widow who is on the verge of a new life when a solemn little boy appears, claiming to be the reincarnation of her dead husband. Greeted with booze at its world premiere at the Venice Film Festival, Birth was a divisive disappointment on release, but in the years since, its reputation has grown. Let's hear a clip. You know that I loved Sean, you know, so much. It's taken me this long. And I can't get him out of my system. I can't. Too many memories. I understand that this is going to sound crazy. I've met somebody who, uh, who seems to be Sean. Am I to understand that that 10-year-old boy told you he was your late husband, Sean? He said, it's me, Sean. What am I supposed to think? He's back. What do you want? You'll be making a big mistake if you marry Joseph. There's a boy this tall who wants to marry my fiance. Yes, a clip from Birth there. A very peculiar film, but uh, I think quite a good one. But let's see what the listeners have to say. We have a very chunky email here from Angus from Melbourne, who says, Hey there, Michael and co. Thanks for the recommendation for Film Club this week. I had no idea that Birth was the third of only three Glazer feature films in existence, having already seen Under the Skin and Sexy Beast. Whilst it was probably my least favourite of Glazer's three features, the apparently awful critical reception upon release seems cruel, all things considered. High points included the film's immersive gothic aesthetic with a very ambiguous New York in winter that struck me as reminiscent of The Devil's Advocate. I thought that Alexandre Desplat's score was wholly absorbing, its staccatoed moments of orchestral flourish providing a great counterpart to Harris Savidis's tense and elegant cinematography. As an aside, a YouTube deep dive into Jonathan Glazer's music videography is an hour well spent, some absolute gems in there, and plenty of 90s nostalgia. Best Angus. Angus, thank you for that. There's plenty to go on there. But also we had some quick-fire responses from Twitter. We had Stephen Volk saying, a brilliant, complex, and subtly effective psychological drama, but unsuccessful in release, as most of the great unwashed don't like their supernatural stories disabused. Stephen has some issues with the great unwashed, it yeah, would seem. They need a good washing, maybe. Alec Price says, one of the best films ever made about the paralysis of grief, the finest performance of Nicole Kidman's career. We have Hope saying, one of the, my favourite Kidman performances, Cold as Ice. Jane saying, I loved this weird, cold movie. And lots of good comments here about Alexandre Desplat's score, about Nicole Kidman's performance. All sorts of positivity here to go on. Rogan, this was a first watch for you, right? It was, What yeah. did you make of it? I really liked it. I mean, it's it's very strange. Um, uh, yeah, it's very strange, but I really enjoyable. I thought Nicole Kidman was incredible. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a fan of hers anyway, but it was so nice to fill in this gap because I thought her performance was wonderful and so sad. And 
although there are moments where I definitely felt very creeped out, Mm -hmm. I also, by the end of it, I was completely just so sad for her. (laughs) Just so sad for her, yeah. It is, on a genre level, so fascinating because Mm -hmm. it has this premise. In fact, Wheel of Cinema said it was one of the most inherently disturbing film premises ever conceived, tweeting it at us. It's not quite a ghost story. It feels like it could be. Jonathan Glazer says they wanted to play it like a fairy tale, but it it seems very grounded. Sophie, you're narrowing your eyes at me here. What, what, what do you think of Birth? I'm narrowing my eyes like a cat narrows its eyes seductively. Oh, thank you. Okay. Yeah. Well, oh, Birth. So, yeah, I first saw it. Harris Savidas died some years ago, and there was a tribute double bill to his work of Birth and The Game. Yeah. Was that from one of his own prints that you were watching it, yeah. like a nitrate print or something? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. It's famous for its opening sequence of this guy running through Central Park, which is it's so beautiful. He's just centre of the frame, and it's just this dolly shot following him as he, gliding behind him as this black-clad figure runs through the white snow. It's so beautiful, and there are so many shots like that within the film. Another famous shot is Nicole Kidman having just met this boy who says Mm -hmm. he's her dead husband she then goes to see a classical music performance and the camera is just on her face as she cries at the music and at what's happening in her life and it's indelible and it is just a very moving film it's about people it's about magical thinking like the extent that you will go to to believe something that would comfort you but then having that comfort snatched away and having to go on living is very, very sad and moving and frankly relatable film, you know? Like, I know grief and I consider myself a rational person. I was raised an atheist and the things I'll believe sometimes is, is so, it's a beautiful film on that score and it's a beautiful film on a visual level. And it's also, it also has moments of being extremely funny. The, the, <laughs> the way that um, like Lauren Bacall is in it as uh, Anna's mother mm-hmm. and it's like, so this boy shows up at their apartment and says, hi, I'm your dead husband in this 10-year-old boy's body and the humour of the film comes from the fact that no one overreacts, everyone's just quite deadpan about it and they even have some yucks, some lows they're like, yeah, this is great yeah, sure you are but then it also walks that line between uh, mocking the ridiculousness of the idea and also entertaining it which is a clever tone to conjure up Mm -hmm. It's a film that for me almost sits in a similar space to Eyes Wide Shut where there's a strong tension all the way through and it all hinges on a single line delivery there's a a punchline at the end of Eyes Wide Shut that Nicole Kidman delivers Mm. and there's one here where I'm paraphrasing where she is sitting on the edge of the bath with young Sean and she says well you certainly had me fooled I thought you were my dead husband which the entire air of the film just dissipates there and you don't know whether to laugh or cry because you you know how deeply she really wanted that to happen. She's yeah. wiping away the tears and buttoning herself back up to go back to her yeah. the life that she's tried to piece together for herself. Yeah, exactly. It's amazing. It, it, that performance by the boy is amazing. The film would not work without mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. He makes you believe that he's her dead husband because he's so serious. <laughs> how did they find such a serious little boy? <laughs> 
It's true. No, I believed. Like I was. There's, you know, there's a twist at the end, and I was, I was with it all the way through. I was like, gosh, what's she gonna do? She can't run away with this child. You know, I was very invested. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Had you seen other Jonathan Glazer films before this? He's so fascinating because yeah. he's made only three films in twenty years, mm. and they're all so different. And of course, maybe it's the slight failure of Birth. Maybe resulted in the fact that it, there was a decade between his second and third features and, and the third being Under the Skin but he is one of our best filmmakers working he is. today and he so The Goldfinch is an unsuccessful adaptation of a book and there are many unsuccessful adaptations of a book one extraordinarily successful adaptation is his Under the Skin and the reason why it's so good is that it doesn't make the rookie error of like I've got to adapt literally every element of it it gazes into the book's soul and then it totally reconfigures what it is on a narrative level. And as a huge fan of the book Under the Skin by Michelle Faber, I was an even huger fan of the film. And if you want to see an adaptation done right, watch Under the Skin. Mm-hmm. And there's a really fascinating production history article, I think it was on Screen International, probably still online somewhere, about Under the Skin, which took 10 years to pull together for budgetary reasons, cast reasons. And it was one of those films where it was a fuller, bigger budgeted production, but they lost a lead cast member and just cut the script in half and made it up in other ways. So therefore it's become this fascinating half adaptation, half its own beast own sexy beast perhaps. oh god I'm so sorry no don't be <laughs> A don't be sorry B don't pretend that you're sorry when you know you're not you're just pleased with yourself for making puns it, it's radio they can't tell how much I'm smiling right now. <laughs> but would we recommend any other Nicole Kidman films she's become over the last 25 years just one of the best in her field right and oh, yeah. luckily now with, with the TV work she's doing mm-hmm. she's rightly known for that are you a fan Rogan? yeah I love Nicole Kidman mm-hmm. yeah I haven't seen it in a while but I, I wrote it down a few weeks ago like I need to rewatch this I think To Die For yeah. To Die For yeah. That's, yeah I think that's one I'd recommend she, I think it's a bit more obscure she has an interesting sideline in films in which she has in a borderline inappropriate relationships with, with younger men yeah. Yeah. yeah the other one being this rabbit hole um, and then the paper boy mm, she yeah, yeah. And urinates on Zac Efron. Perhaps the killing of a sacred deer as well, if Pat yeah. Barry Keoghan has any scenes with yeah. that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you mentioned Eyes Wide Shut. That gives more screen time to Tom Cruise, but she uh, has that payoff line, as you say, Michael, mm-hmm. right at the end. I feel like she's the best thing in everything she's in. When she's given support roles in films, those are the ones I would say to avoid. But any any film where she has a star billing... Mm-hmm. is by default incredible and worth watching. Yeah. We should say that this film, while it wasn't successful on release, Birth has had some acclaim over the years and has had some impact. That shot you talk about, the two-minute unbroken slow zoom shot mm. into Nicole Kidman as she's, as you see that new information slowly work its way through her brain and uh, you see her sorts of falling apart in front of the camera. That has become almost a, a cheap hackneyed cliche shot now that's mm. used in many other films yeah. two very recent examples Call Me By My Name the final shot yeah, in that yeah. uh, The Portrait of Lady, Lady on, on Fire, fire. Yeah, as it well. ends on a shot like that and they're always so effective yeah. aren't they when they're used especially with the right piece of music the right mm. actress yes Adele Hanel thank you <laughs> 
Anyway, that was Birth. Listeners, if you watch that film or any of the other films we talked about this week, let us know what you think at the usual channels at Truth and Movies on Twitter, Truth and Movies at TCOLondon.com via email, and then there's also the comment section at LWLies.com slash podcast. Next week, we have a satisfyingly alliterative double bill of new releases with Joker and Judy and for Film Club because of Judy Garland we're going to go back to 1954 for her version of A Star Is Born let us know what you think of that film if you've watched it Rogan, Sophie, thank you so much for joining me this week and bringing your opinions and insights I'm Michael Leader and as always this has been a 7 Digital production up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.